Second hour of Love Babs Love Talk on Babs Rolls Ivy. I've got some amazing people with me this morning. Hey, Charlie Grady. Hey, Louise. Hey, Maggie. Hey, Dr. Hey. Listen, these folks represent the Hall of Change, the grade eight, and they're doing a performance on Monday. Yes. Monday, Monday, Monday. All right. So, Charlie Grady, tell me what this is. Oh, man. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for having us on here. And, uh, also, thank you for representing the Connecticut Hall of Change as well as you do every day, all day, and twice oh. on Sunday. I love it. Um, you know, you, you, you're one of those great aiders and one of those people who have made an incredible contribution to our to our communities here in Connecticut. So uh, the Hall of Change is just that. Um, I remember thinking to myself, watching the news, uh, an individual who got arrested that was very similar to someone that I knew from Hang Time program. And the news flash said, uh, ex-felon goes back to jail. Oh, career criminal goes back to jail. That's what it was. And it just didn't rub me right. I just thought to myself, wow, um, this, this person's got a family. He's got brothers and mothers and kids, whatever the case may be. And his title is uh, career criminal. And uh, not too many people wake up on Monday and say, hey, you know what I'm going to be today? I'm going to be a career criminal for the rest of my life. That's what I want to be. So I thought at that moment, it's time to change that stigma because in the work that I do with uh, Hang Time and uh, my other nonprofits, organizations, helping reentry population, I know the struggle. I see the struggle every day of people uh, being labeled with that, that scarlet letter and that stigma. So my goal was to change that stigma for the people who are doing incredible things uh, after they've come home from incarceration. And particularly those people who have come home from incarceration have been off of supervision of any type for five years or more and have done things not just to better themselves, but to better the community that they once lived in and uh, created havoc in, quite honestly. Uh, and as a result of that, I called together a bunch of people in the reentry population world, uh, a bunch of nonprofits. I, I created a committee. We came up with a criteria. Uh, I then said, I want this thing to be called the Connecticut Hall of Change. Uh, play on the word fame because change is more important than fame. And uh, uh, we, we literally put a criteria together and our first one was 2020. And uh, Babs Rawls was part of that original, that OG 2020 group uh, and some other incredible people that made it into uh, that 2020 class. And so it's just been growing and gaining much attention. In fact, we're the first in the country to do it. And uh, right now we're in talks. Dr. Glenn and I are trying to make this thing happen down in Maryland, uh, where she's now residing. Um, they're very interested. They're very impressed with the whole thing. In fact, a lot of different states have, have asked about the program. My ultimate goal is to have all a change, gradators every year in all 50 states. And each year that that group of gradators travel down to D.C. and work on reform, prison reform, reentry, and, and make the system a little better than what it is today. So that's that's it in a nutshell. But this uh, coming Monday, 
I pick four individuals that are willing to put their life story on the line in front of an audience. And uh, they trust me with their stories. And uh, we weave their stories together and make a, a common theme where we can tell the story of the struggles that each of them have been through, but also it's a commonality among people formerly incarcerated or how their lives led them to be incarcerated. So that's what you're gonna see on stage. It's not, no, there are no actors. It, it, it is people telling real life stories and real life circumstances that led to where they are today. And, and they're all highly successful today. You have them on your show. I'm telling you that this is the most courageous thing um, that I've seen and heard. Uh, and I watched you build this out because you, yeah. you did it at, at the, uh, at the theater in Brantford. Right. Was that the first place? Yeah, that was the first one, Legacy Theater. And shout out to Legacy because they took a they took a chance, you know, uh, on on who was be there and how it was going to be received. And it went it was a soul. It went over incredibly well. But uh, COVID said, yeah, not so much this year. And yeah. so we had to wait. And so uh, so now we're back at it, and uh, we got a new cast. Uh, we have one returning cast member, Larice Harvey, the Queen of Green, I call her. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we are we are we are ready to go. I'll tell you, I'm excited. And it's it's Friday, but I'm here to tell you, by Monday, I'm going to be beaming from ear to ear, and I can't wait for people to come and experience what we're doing. I, I I'm excited. So, Larice and and Maggie, what's what's the experience been like? I mean, Larice, you've been you've been doing it since the very beginning. Uh, what what has your experience been like, and, and what made you say yes? Because I can't say yes. So you said yes. Why are you saying yes? Right. Um, Because the first theme was about, you know, the journey itself, like a train ride. You know, it's just like we told some parts of it. But this one has more of a school to prison pipeline, how we ended up in prison. And then what we learned while we were there and what we used through all the, that time to become the great eights that we are today and inducted in the Hall of Change. And so um, it gave me an opportunity to um, let people see me as a child and not as, you know, the, you know, beast in um, reentry that I am for our advocacy and our rights. Mm. And Maggie, and so so for me, for me, what made me say yes is is um, you know, when I was inducted, there was it right there in that moment while I was standing at the podium, I had this feeling of, oh my God, like this is the opportunity to shed the label, as Charlie said, right, of this career criminal, and like leave my past right there and look at where I am in present, and so um. That felt like something that I was receiving and I've been such a taker. And so giving back and being a part of this and being like just a piece of what Hall of Change represents and trusting. So Charlie said, trust me with your story. And as you said, it, you know, it's difficult to start to think back where what it is that I, th- I want people to think about me versus who I really am. And so I trusted that information and this process to him. And I have been nothing but like pleased with how I feel, how I'm kind of internalizing everything, how I'm feeling like that I'm just really growing and changing as we go through. And then 
in the process, I'll help someone else, I hope, to know that they could too say yes. Mm -hmm. So how long is the performance? So we've got it down to about an hour and 15 minutes of a performance, and then there'll be some Q&A after. Oh, okay. Um, there's, there's only like a three-minute sort of break in between. And again, you know, what, what we've done is we've created a storytelling series that's both uh, entertaining, moving, touching, um, and it takes you on a little bit of a roller coaster ride as you, as you listen to the traumatic stories and the, the outcomes from these heroic people that overcame obstacles that a lot of people just don't overcome. So, so would you say, and, and this is for all of you all, and, and I'll get to you, Dr. Glenn, in a minute, because I think you're a little bit of an outlier because y'all are looking to bring, bring this to, your, to where you are, I, I understand. Um, does this help raise the awareness of, of humanizing uh, formerly incarcerated people and incarcerated people? Does this, do these kinds of stories bring people face to face with um, not seeing them as career criminals or not seeing us as, 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 you know, the lowest of the low, but seeing us as, you know, your neighbors and your, and the people you work with. And, and I mean, does that, does, does these kinds of stories help with that? I believe I so. Go ahead, Dr. Glenn. I would, I would hope so. And, and I say that because people are so unforgiving. Oh my and God, they, yes. And all they see you as, all they see you as is this ex-felon, not knowing that there's a story behind me and why I ended up where I did and why I fought so hard while I was there to be, be where I am today. So I would hope that it does. And for all that have spoken to me after I've shared my story, they have, they have a light switch went in, like, wow. This could have happened to anybody. All it takes is one wrong choice, one wrong decision for us to switch places. Mm. And, I, and I agree. I think that it, it, it definitely helps. I think lived experience and looking in the audiences and looking at the work that I do is in behavior, health and substance use. And so anytime that I, I'm actually saying something to someone, I'm always thinking, can I answer these two questions? Is it for the benefit of the person you're speaking to? And is it actually, does it have the potential to help them? And right. so those are the two reasons for doing so. Exactly. And not only that, being, when I, when I got inducted in 2020, I remember feeling like, wow, okay, so this is the civil rights movement of this generation. And we represent, you know, the leadership of change, which is what Malcolm X, Martin Luther King represent, Sojourner Truth in her time, you know, Rosa Parks in her time. And so that's how I, I, I take it, you know, I receive it. So I feel like it's my responsibility, right? It's my, you know, I have a public image to uphold and it is my job to be that voice as a leader of those who are formerly incarcerated or justice impacted, those who are survivor of domestic violence, sexual abuse, those who um, change 
not for just themselves, but like Maggie and Dr. Glenn said, for the betterment of others. I don't share my story so you get to know me. I share my story so you might see me in your classroom. You might be talking to me at the bus stop. You might be looking at me in one of your nieces and nephews. Hear my story and look for the symptoms and signs and help that child before they become an inmate number. That's so daggone powerful. You know, made me change my mind about telling the story because I was like before I was like, oh, God, I don't need no more daggone spotlight. But but Larice, that just touched me in ways I can't begin to tell you. So how does your how do you uh, tell the story and and have your family support or does your family support telling of these stories and are they are they supportive are they like can we just put this behind us you know like what what is the atmosphere uh like for for your loved ones and your family members that you're doing this work mine's is mixed i think overall everyone's proud of me that i am where i am today and i used um that time for me to get me together find me again and that i'm using this platform of, you know, um, the grade eight to bring my story to the forefront. So there's some that's, you know, stuck on appearances. Me, I did, if, if I did, and I said it in 1996 when I stood up in court, I said, if nothing else, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to hope and reach out to everyone they may may be impacted by the same things that I've been impacted by. So my so my jail time and my prison time wasn't in vain. So because when they look at me, I want them to see hope. So I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm doing this for me and I'm doing this for all the women out there because what they forget about are the women that have to go through the things that we went through because of a man of whomever and then we end up in prison. See, they expect men to go to prison, but they forget about the women and the children. Mm-hmm. And for, for me with my family, they, they're primarily um, primarily supportive. And so with, with, with my recovery, I'm a person in long-term recovery for 31 years. And so from drugs and alcohol. And so through that process, they've actually kind of watched me as I, pull through that and get better a little bit at a time. And so it's so interesting you asked that question because I was talking to my oldest sister um, just the other night and I said, you know, I'm going to be talking about my rape. So I just want to let you know that. Do you think that we should, I should tell my brother? And she's like, well, there's going to be a shock whether you tell him now, let him, let him be shocked in the way. <laughs> so it's, just, you know, just that oh, thought. Boy. <laughs> and later on, I said to myself, why, why am I even asking? Because this is, as Dr. Glenn said, this is about me. This Mm. is about my process. This is about my growth and my change. And I have no, I've had shame in my life for a lot of years, but I have no shame about who I was, who I became and who I am today. So here I am. Well, mine is a little um, different than theirs. Um, my family has never attended anything, any award, anything I've done in Connecticut. They, they, my kids and I are estranged. Like they, um, I had to divorce my kids, you know, in a letter because they're just so emotionally abusive and think that I had, um, I could have made a different choice than to save my life and their life 
and not go to jail. I would have died if I didn't defend myself or they would, the girl would have shot my son's bassinet and he would be dead, you know? And even though we're, they're adults, they're in their 31, 35, um, they still uh, feel abandoned by me and they don't support anything I, I do. And if they did, I have no clue of it, okay? So my family that comes and support me are um, my re-entry friends and allies. Um, now that I'm in housing and doing justice impacted housing rights and development, making connecting um, justice impacted people to housing, like first-time home ownership, multi-family ownership, and partnering with Once Incarcerated Anonymous to um, rent um, one of your, if you do a multifamily, one of your apartments with us to make sure that a justice impact a family or individual has housing to end justice impacted homelessness. And um, no one comes. So for me, when y'all show up, that's why I'd be like, you coming, you coming? Because y'all my family, y'all my support. I'm one of those individuals who don't have um, relatives that publicly support me or um, attend or uh, come to anything that I do unless I'm paying them. Hmm. So, yeah. so bad. Um, that was a, a very interesting question. And you mentioned, why did they say yes to, to being in such an intimate exposure, right? They're, they're bearing their souls in, in this, in this exercise. And again, this is a storytelling series. This is not an acting, this is no, there's no acting, right? And so, one of the things that that the ladies all spoke about was the conversations leading up to. And as they indicated, I gave everyone about a six, eight page questionnaire to complete. Um, and I emphasized at the onset, I need you to read through this because this is very, very traumatic. And let me know if this is something you're willing to enter into. You'll have to trust me with your story to make it something that you can be proud of at the end of the day uh, with the linkage of a common theme in there. And there's several common themes, especially since they're all, everyone in the, this year's cast is all around the same age uh, bracket where um, you know, generational change hadn't really affected uh, too much. We all kind of grew up. In, in an era where you know your your auntie, your neighbor, they could grab you up, snatch you up, and be like, "Yo, I know who your mother is." So that's this this <laughs> audience of people. And so um, I've had people uh, from the the Connecticut Hall of Change. We're up to about twenty four people now that are in the Connecticut Hall of Change. And I've had people read through the questions and say, "You know what? I'm not ready for this level of intimacy." Oh, I, I was one of those people, yeah. Charlie. You yeah. know that you sent it to me, and I was like, "I'm flipping through." Yeah, like yeah. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Oh no, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Listen, and, and everybody has their reasons, right? Everybody has their reasons for, for saying no or for saying yes. And and what I what I found is those people who say, look, I'm gonna go for this, they don't step one toe in. They jump in the deep end with no floaties. And yeah. these four, these these three women here and and their 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 fellow uh cast member, Gordon Lied, uh GW Lied. I mean, when I tell you commitment. These four people are committed to making this work. And it's been cathartic for them. It's been cathartic for me when I string things together and they read it and they go, oh my God, I never looked at it that way. Or thank you for pointing out some of the things that I might have 
overlooked. It's their words, but I string it together in such a way that one person's message touches another person's message or right where they left off trying to send a message about what's happened in their life. So everything, everything is intentional. Everything is, ha has a purpose. And I think when people come, they're going to see that, that lock and that tie-in and the commitment it takes to be dedicated to telling the story for the benefit of not just self, because they all said, you know, I, I'm doing it for me, but it's what they give to the people that are listening and people that are in the audience. Because what we know, what we know is that the people in the audience have been affected by a lot of stuff that, that the four great eighters on stage are talking about. That's what we know. And, and, you know, and I want people to understand that you're not just some guy who, like, let me just take a stab at this. You, you have a, uh, a background that, that has trained you to sort of take stories from beginning to end. I want you to talk a little bit about that so that people understand that, you know, you're not just some cat like, well, let me just, let me just talk to people and grab their stories and throw them out there. You have some real, you have some real understanding and knowledge about this. Yeah, so so um, as of uh, as of August of this year, I will have been involved in in some way, shape, or form in law enforcement for forty one years, and uh, that's a long run in in the business that that uh, I've been a big part of. Um, so I have exposure to not only the law enforcement side, the criminal justice side, um, but I also have. During that 41 years, it's kind of crazy because people, you know, these are the things you don't read about or hear about often, is that at the same time I was involved in processes of locking people up for criminal behavior, I was also helping people that came home. Some of the same people that I locked up, I was helping them to reset their lives when they came home, right? And so you don't read about that often, right? And so the bottom line is in the process of doing that work, Someone said to me, oh, you know, you look like this one. You look like that one. You should, you should be in TV and film. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? My mother is my greatest influence. You know why? Because no one ever told me, mother or father, never told me you can't do that or you shouldn't be involved in that. So there is nothing that I wasn't willing to try. And so as a result, I tried everything. I was a professional drummer for many years, playing all over the country with, with Marion Meadows and Ron Lawrence, rest his soul, and Jay Rowe. And, you know, um, I taught myself how to play the drums in the basement. I went out and did that. And then I started going into New York and I landed roles in music videos with Freddie Jackson and The Surface and, and, uh, and then started getting roles in film and TV with Buster Rhymes and John Leguizamo. I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on. I am probably the luckiest man you've ever met because I had no formal training at the time, but I knew what I knew. And I've been the, the consultant on law and order, film sets, you name it, right? But in the process, I realized that some of my own stories and some of my own experiences need to be written. And I read scripts and I learned scripts and I took courses in script writing and I did a bunch of different things. But the, the greatest educator for me was the actual lived experience and how to transpose that onto paper. And so I've done a bunch of that for myself. So when I take other people's stories, I'm using a wealth of, of information and experience, some 30 years worth of experience. And it's funny, Babs, that you mentioned that because some people, uh, they, they can't connect to, to me on, on that, right? They see me as the cop or they see me as the guy who created 
paying time or the right. I I credit my mother again. Uh, there isn't anything that I won't try doing because no one told me I can't. And so uh, I hear people's stories where their parents go, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. Um, I never had that. So therefore I had the courage and the, and the bravado to try it all and, and, and do the things that I, I love the best. So acting, film, television, I, I've done voiceovers, I've, you name it. I've been on television for a long time. A lot of people will see me and go, you look familiar. And I just kind of laugh and I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, yeah, yeah, maybe, you know, and, uh, and especially there, there was a time when I was on TV commercials all over the place, you know, BJ's TV commercials and Macy's TV commercials and people would see and go, you know, you look familiar. And I'd go, yeah, maybe yeah, we might've met. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I think to your point, uh, I've been in the game for a long time and, uh, in, a, in, a, in about a year or so, I'm going to retire. And, really? Uh, yeah, a year or so I'm going to retire again because I retired from police uh, uh, back in 2002. But I'm going to retire again, and then I'm going to uh, dedicate my my time to writing scripts and hopefully get a couple series going and uh, and see how well that works out. And if I get bored with that, I'll play the drums or I'll take up the bass or something. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so y'all got this. Thank you. Thank you for that, Charlie, because I, I wanted to make sure that people understood the connection because there's real, real, um, you have a real talent and skill set for this. It's not just, you know what, let's just bring these people together and whatever happens. But you you have real education and real experience around how to craft stories so that folks are not left out there just flapping in the wind on stage, that there is a real there's a real concerted effort here. There's a choreography here um, so that people's stories flow and that people are comfortable. Um, and it doesn't take away from their authenticity or any of that. It's just that those of us who work in theater and all that other kind of stuff, there's things that has to happen to, to make this successful so that you all shine and, and are your very best. I just wanted people to know that. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny because um, I tell them all, I'm not trying to make them actors but they're natural actors and storytellers. And mm -hmm. so uh, it's funny because we did in 2019, I, I wrote uh, a stage play with, with Steve Driffin called Her Time. And uh, it premiered at the Klein Theater. Yep. And uh, people were, were blown away because they're like, oh, we didn't know you did that. And even Steve said, we didn't know you, you know, you didn't do that. We just thought you were that police, that popo, right? And, uh, and we had 900 people uh, at the at the first showing we had you know 900 900 people that attended and uh you know they loved it we had an incredible cast i know i was and, there i came yeah I yeah came. and then uh, and then we, we did a follow-up with jamal all about a young black uh kid from hartford whose trauma was dealt with with uh equestrian therapy and uh he ends up trying to make money to go to brown university for the equestrian program and then life gets in the way and mm -hmm. uh so we've, we've had a few things going on and uh, this is just another in the series of successes um, with storytelling. And, and I'm, I'm telling everybody who's within earshot, um, you got to be in Hartford Monday at 6 p.m. at Infinity Hall. It's free, thanks to UConn. Yeah, UConn, uh, our, one of our, our original grade aiders, Daryl McGraw, and uh, professor over at UConn, Nana Amos, uh, paved the way for us to get uh, into UConn and through Infinity Hall. So. We're very proud to work with UConn because, again, everything Connecticut. Connecticut's forward-leaning. We're front. 
and you were asking before about the trust. We have been trusted to go inside of DOC and speak to cadet police off, uh, corrections officers before they even take a stance. So we are humanizing their experience for them before they even go onto a block and their job. We did so well with that. We've already spoken to over 600, over 600, did I say that? Over 600 cadets before they ever entered their job, making an impact on them. The impact is real. And then we got invited to speak to young onboarding prosecutors, state prosecutors that we've spoken to, as well as invited to speak to 13 different police departments, 53 different um, young police officers through the academy humanizing the experience of formerly incarcerated people before they even start their job. They have a whole new outlook on what humanity is and some of the struggles that people are going through so that when they show up or when they get that file, they're not just looking at a statistic, they're looking at a human being. Mm. So um, as we as we, we got about like uh, in a couple of more minutes, um, I want each of you to tell me, what do you want people to take away from your story, honestly, when they sit in that theater on Monday and see your stories um, um, across that stage, what do you what do you want them to know? And Larissa, I think you were very succinct in terms of you want people to see not not so much your story, but to see your story in folks that they interact with, whether it's the classroom or church or wherever it is that they that they see it. But I, 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 what do you want people to want when they leave that theater Monday night? What do you want them to know? For me, I, I live by this mantra, pave your pain into power. I want them to see that their pain can be a powerful message for change. That's what I want people to leave there, knowing that they can pave their pain into power. I like that. Awesome. I'm going I'm to need that in a, in, a, in, a, on a, in a sign, right? Like I'm going to hang that on the wall. For me, um, I would like to leave this world a much better place than what I found it. And I want them to realize that you don't have to be what you've been through. And I want them to see, when they see me, I want them to see hope and know that although you've gone through all that you went through in your life, each day is a new day. And some of us get caught up in the past and don't want to move forward. So I need them to know that they have to, each day is a new day. And, and I think, I think for me, um, what's going to be really important is um, just really overall that it's never too late and that, you know, there is, um, you know, I often think about, you know, I never saw myself as a person who would end up in prison, who would end up addicted, you know, because I thought that the image of being a shy kind of quiet person is different than what is shown as a person who ends up addicted to drugs. And so I just want people to know that no matter what it is that they go through, you can get through it, number one, but there has to be a start and it's never too late. So just start and that is never too late. Thank you. So Charlie, before we go, I'm gonna give you the last word. Exactly. What is that you want for 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 the Hall of Change and Grade Eight? What what do you what is the biggest dream for this? So the biggest dream is, to, as as I indicate sometimes, uh, is to have all fifty states um, honor individuals just like you all on this call um, in a, in such a way that 
you guys are memorialized in the state museum and 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 stop and think about that um what makes this thing so unique and so outstanding uh is the people that are involved right so i don't do any of this by myself i have a full committee that helps to put this thing together and our partners are the department of corrections uh commissioner queros and the commissioner before him uh shared my vision when I brought it to the table, had a meeting with their entire staff and said, this is what I think we should do. It can be inspiration for those individuals coming home, going back into the community. It can be a beacon of hope and light for those individuals that really don't have a path, but look just like the members who are being honored. So in addition to having DOC, we have the arts and preservation. Ms. Liz Shapiro, um, again, saw the vision. She's like, absolutely, we're gonna find a space where we can put your, your likeness and your stories will live on. Your great grandkids will be able to visit a Connecticut museum and see great grandma's picture and story uh, of, of success. That was my overall hope and, and dream for it, but I would like to see all 50 states do the same thing so that each year, the great eight from each year can travel together, can unite together, can work together in unison to help change the system that we're in right now. We know the system is broken. We know the judicial system is broken. And so who better to help change the judicial system than those that have experienced it from across the country? Because what you might've experienced here in Connecticut may be very different from what someone experienced in Texas or in California. But if all of you were in the room together, having this dialogue and conversation, it would be transformative. Everyone learning from each other's experience and how to move forward to make a huge difference across this country. Connecticut, again, I brag about it because I've been here my whole life and I see as I travel around areas of the country, we are forward leaning. We are, we are doing things that a lot, of, uh, a lot of states just haven't even tapped into, uh, such as closing the prisons and taking some of that money and repurposing that money into reentry programs and that sort of thing. Um, we are doing a great job of being the first. And so I wanna make sure that we stay on that track I want to make sure that we bring people together. And ultimately, I'm hoping that one day uh, Connecticut can be the pilgrimage to Mecca for all things reentry. People come from around the country to come here uh, for conferences and so forth and think tanks. So that's the way you change the perception and the stigma. Number, power in numbers. Thank you so much, y'all, for spending this Friday with me this morning. I want everybody to go. It's at, uh, what is it, Infinity Hall? Infinity. Infinity Hall, Front Street, downtown Hartford. Um, it starts at six. The doors open. They got a nice little bar there. I'm just saying. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's a beautiful theater and they've been awesome to work with so far. So we are so looking forward to uh, being downtown Hartford. And, you know, who knows? We might take the show on the road after that. Who knows? I like the sound of that. Well, thank you, Larissa. It's always good to see you, Green. Green Love you, Queen. Babs. Good to see you, Dr. Antoinette Glenn, and good to see you, Miss Maggie Young. I am so proud of y'all. Y'all are repping, and I'm so, Next time you. so proud you. to be in the number. So listen. Thanks for having us. I want to send, I got to send a shout out to my man, Gordon, because you asked the question, what do you want these the people in the audience to walk away with? And then, uh, so in these rehearsals, we become even greater than family. Maggie and Dr. Glenn and Larissa. Those are my those are my my sisters, my my nieces, my aunties. You name it, they're everything. And Gordon, uh, what he would want people to walk away with, I'm sure, is that uh, at one point in his life he had long curly hair. So light skin wavy. I'll be sure. 
<laughs> Goofy Gordy. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank y'all. Enjoy Bye. your weekend. Bye. Have Thank a, you a so terrific much. show. See you Monday. And I hope y'all come back anytime you want, Charlie. Anytime you want. Thank you, darling. We love it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Harry. Have a good weekend. I'll be back on Monday. And uh, y'all behave yourselves out here in the street. Bye.